Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. Barbecue Nation with JT right here on KXL and the Radio Northwest Network. I've got a great big treat for all of you barbecue fans, grilling, smoking, whatever you want to do with fire, wood, um, to cook cook your food. I've got Stephen Reichlin with us today. He is like, I don't know, I, did anybody ever elevate you to a deity for barbecue or something, Stephen? I mean, I don't well, know. in various languages, in various places, and I don't mean to sound immodest, but I've been called, let's see, in Germany, they call me the Pope of Barbecue. In <laughs> Quebec, they call me the Wayne Gretzky of Barbecue. Uh, you know, stuff like that. That's good. Well, anyway, welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be there. So uh, let's take let's take our listeners back really quickly. You have a relationship somewhat with the Portland, Oregon area where this show is produced out of. Well, I do. I uh, attended Reed College. I graduated with a degree in French literature. Figure how that got me to barbecue. Uh, Portland is one of my favorite cities on the planet. I get there at least once a year. I think you probably have some of the best food in North America. Yeah, we like to think so. I mean, it's, uh, we've got such a variety here, you know, it's, we're not, um, we're not pinned down to one style of, of cooking, especially anymore if you go downtown in the food carts and stuff, but, uh, regardless of that. So how did you go from a degree in French lit to Paris to the Cordon Bleu and then end up with barbecue tongs in your hand? When I graduated from Reed, I won a Thomas J. Watson Foundation Fellowship. Uh, Watson founded IBM. And I had proposed to study medieval cooking in Europe. Why? Because when I was at Reed, I wrote my thesis on a medieval French poet named Christine de Pizan. And while I was doing my research there, I came across a medieval cookbook. And I thought, wow, this is really fascinating. This combines my interest in history and literature and food and cooking. Uh, don't know if you remember, but uh, I, I used to work at Otto's Delicatessen up on uh, Westmoreland above Reed. That was that was kind of my my uh, my spending money job. Sure. Uh, so um, so any rate, uh, that got me going off from Reed to with a French degree in French literature to Paris to uh, London uh, to Munich, where I read medieval cookery manuscripts in all the great libraries. And then in the afternoons when I was in Paris, I went to a cooking school called uh, Cordon Bleu La Varenne. I wanted to learn more about the active, uh, practical art of cooking. And um, that sort of 
it was through that that I became a food writer. And I moved back to the States. I moved to Boston. I became restaurant critic for Boston Magazine, wine and spirits editor for GQ Magazine. Uh, and, you know, I always grilled like every human being endowed with a Y chromosome grills. Uh, but <laughs> the real call to fire, as it were, came in the fall of uh, uh, 1994. And I had this idea, and the idea was, well, wouldn't it be cool to travel around the world and document how people grill and smoke in different countries? So um, that was that project became a book called The Barbecue Bible. Uh, it became an award-winning, million-copy uh, international bestseller, much to my great astonishment. And all of a sudden, I was in barbecue, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, and that's a... That's a that's a good thing for us, your your disciples out here, as it were. But um, it must have been very interesting uh, studying the the older, you know, medieval type fashions of cooking with virtually meat on a stick, so to speak, at sometimes or a skewer. Well, or actually, um, the meat on the stick really goes back much much earlier to prehistoric times. Uh, <clears throat> Evidence, fossil evidence, suggests that we began cooking food with live fire about 1.8 million years ago. Uh, what's interesting in the Middle Ages is that it was very sophisticated, at least if you had money. Uh, spices were used as status symbols. Uh, food was very theatrical, dramatic. Uh, you know the old children's nursery rhyme, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually found a recipe for how to bake live birds in a pie. What you did was you sort of created a hollow pie shell, put live birds in, uh, cut the shell open, and the birds would fly out. I mean, people in the Middle Ages, they love that sense of drama. <laughs> well, I know that I have probably eaten in some of my travels around the world that I have eaten some of the uh, primary recipes from 1.5 million years ago, um, somewhere along the line. I, I'm pretty sure of that because I've had good experiences and a few bad ones. Uh down the line. So you, so you came out, you, you know, you get back, you're a food critic, you're doing all these great things. You pick up the tongs eventually. And what was your comfort level when you first did that? I mean, you said you like, you know, the Y chromosome and all of us grilling in the backyard, but did, did you have an epiphany to do this or did it just like, I'm going to do this? Well, the epiphany was to write the book, and it was a book that nobody had ever written before. You know, there were not a lot of grill books at the time, uh, but they all sort of focused on American grilling. And so this was virgin territory, which I, uh, I really loved the idea of. And I loved the idea of traveling, because grilling, it's one of those, it's, you know, it's our oldest cooking method. It's the most universal cooking method, but people do it differently everywhere. Sure. Um, and, was I an expert when I started? No, but um, did I learn a lot along the way, and have I learned a lot uh, in 20 years of specializing in barbecuing and grilling? Absolutely. And I still learn today. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. It's a, it's a subject that is very, very, both very deep and very broad. Now, the interest in smoking and the TV show, so... Once Barbecue Bible came out, uh, you know, I realized that this was a subject that, uh, that, that really had a lot of meat to it, uh, as it were, <laughs> pun intended. Sure. And I made a list of all the things that I wanted to do with barbecue. So one of them was a TV show, and first that became Barbecue University, and then Primal Grill, and now the latest show, uh, Project Smoke. 
and each each show focusing on a different aspect of live fire cooking. Uh, I wanted to create a line of products, which I did. Those are known as the best of uh, barbecue products. More books, certainly. And uh, the most uh, recent of my barbecue books was a book called Planet Barbecue. And I went back out after 15 years. I went back out on the world's barbecue trail, uh, this time to 53 countries. Uh, I guess for me, when I write a book, the first thing I do is I, p- I pack a rollerboard suitcase. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you've written, what, 28 of them, 29 of Actually, them? Actually, it's 30. Oh, well, see, I'm behind already. Yep. Th- that's incredible. Um, yep. So I'm going to pull a couple questions out from what we call the lightning round, but I'm going to do them right now. Have you ever had something that you just thought was terrible? I mean, did you ever eat something in barbecue from another country that you just went, oh, I can't do that? Um. Well, I've had dishes that are certainly out of my comfort zone. Uh, I wouldn't say they're terrible, but I mean, I, you know, I make it sort of a practice to try everything once. Uh, in Bali, with uh, there's a dish called Bobby Gooling, which is a uh, spit-roasted suckling pig, and one of the traditional accompaniments is a salad made with the pig's blood and grated coconut. Um, I mean, that's something I ate once. You know, I don't lie awake craving it at night. Um, <laughs> As much as I do that that, that roasted pig, though, I, sure. I mean, boy, I could just eat that for the rest of my days. No, that's 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 very good stuff. Um, I've had a few of those, you know, interesting side dishes. Let's put it that way. What uh, what does your wife think of all this? I mean, besides, you know, she's being the TV and the aspects and all that, the media. But what does she think of your experiments at home and those things? Well, um, first of all, my wife is a very good cook, and uh, when I married her, she probably had more experience grilling than I did because she lived in Florida and I lived in Boston. Um, uh, the, the, my whole involvement with barbecue has afforded not just my wife and I, but our whole family, some amazing opportunities in life. Uh, we, uh, I took my family to Japan. Uh, We've been to Japan twice. The last time was to battle the Iron Chef on uh, Japanese television. You know, when my kids heard that we were going to Japan, it was, you know, no, there's no way uh, you're not going to take us. So uh, we turned it into this wonderful family trip. I guess what we both appreciate about uh, my career with barbecuing and grilling is it turns travels from being a tourist into actually being an insider. Uh, You're invited into private, private homes. You go to restaurants that are frequented primarily by locals. Uh, you dive very deep into the culture. Sure. And that has been a, a wonderful um, wonderful benefit from, uh, from my work with barbecue. Excellent. We're going to be back with uh, Stephen Reichlin right after these messages. Do not go away. Barbecue Nation on the Radio Northwest Network, and here our home studios in KXL in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Real quickly, before we get back talking to uh, Stephen Reichlin, if you're looking for a job in the restaurant business, my buddies down at Langdon Farms are looking for entry and advanced level kitchen staff. I'm doing this as a favor. This isn't really an ad. Uh, this might be your way of becoming uh, 
you know, a chef or working your way into that, if you're interested, go buy Langdon Farms and uh, ask for the application, fill it out. You'll need uh, food handlers, garden proof of ID. Tell them JT sent you. So there, I said that. And uh, maybe if you like the golf business too, you can get into it down there. We have got Stephen Reichlin with us today. He is like really, truly Mr. Barbecue, um, as far as I'm concerned, out there in the world. And we were talking off the air briefly about tri-tip. The reason I brought that up is not just because we have it all the time, but uh, we did a piece on the show a couple weeks ago, Stephen, about a new style called the Santa Maria style. And it's funny that what we were talking about off the air of – really focusing on tri-tip from that section of California. Well, uh, it's interesting. In the new Project Smoke uh, TV show on PBS, we do tri-tip, but we do what I call a reverse sear tri-tip. So it's actually smoked low and slow for about an hour to infuse an incredible smoke flavor and then bring it up to about 100 degrees internal temperature. And then it goes over a hot fire, and we grill it to bring it up to a perfect 120 degrees, you know, a nice... Uh, a nice rare temperature. And, um, and and that reverse sear, you know how sometimes when you cook a tri-tip, you get that sort of bullseye effect that's kind of gray on the outside, yeah. and then it goes to red, and it sort of has a blue core in the center where it's completely undercooked? Yes, I'm aware well, of any, that. I mean, not that you would be guilty of such an offense. but um, I would be flogged if I was, but go ahead. I know exactly what you're talking about. But at any rate, with this reverse searing process, you know, um, you get a perfect... Uh, beautiful, you know, rose-red color from top to bottom, and then a great crust, and of course that uh, intoxicating smoke flavor. I just think it's a, an incredible cut of meat myself, um, and it's easy to it's easy to do, and it's delicious. So And it's very forgiving, too, and it's, it's also, um, you know, not hideously expensive. No, it's not. So let's talk some specifics about barbecue here, because I know the listeners are, you know, wanting to get down to the nitty-gritty on this. Uh, big, big thing up here, and of course, in, in many parts of the country, is cooking a brisket. And briskets are very large pieces of meat. Correct. And in fact, uh, before I took over this show, I listened to a show, and the the caller said, "I have a brisket from a twelve year old bull." <laughs> and okay. uh, and uh, of course, my thing would have been just get rid of it, but it was well aged. I guess you could say that. But in cooking briskets, <clears throat> give give our give our listeners some basic advice on cooking briskets. Oh boy! Well, first of all, I mean, remember the uh, the the core mantra of barbecue is low and slow. You want want to work at a low temperature, and uh, you want to slow the whole process down. Uh, so it's a it's a slow cook. Uh, depending on the size of the brisket, you know, at very least you're in for eight hours. You could be in as long as sixteen hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Second piece of advice, I keep the sim- uh, seasoning simple, just salt and pepper, because uh, I really want it to be about the the smoke flavor of the meat. Uh, third piece of advice, uh, I always wrap the brisket in butcher paper about three-quarters of the way through. Why butcher paper? Because it breathes, and you want non-line butcher paper. And fourth, and this is very important, once the brisket is cooked, and I cook to about 195 degrees, Place that wrapped brisket in an insulated cooler and let it rest for a couple of hours before you serve it. And that resting is what brings the juices out and makes it incredibly uh, succulent and tender. 
I've I've been to a few, um, uh, you know, I've judged a few contests and that, and and then of course been to lots of barbecues in my day, and uh, to me, either a brisket can be a huge hit if it's done properly, as you just explained, or it can be very difficult, make the day very difficult, not only for the cook but for the guests also. If it's done. yeah, brisket is really it's the measure against uh, it's simultaneously the simplest and the hardest thing to cook in the whole smoked uh, repertory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we devote a whole show to it on Project Smoke. Uh, I, we use what's called a Packer brisket, and it's a, it's a brisket with the uh, point attached, uh, big, thick sheath of fat on it. And I like to cook it with the fat on it because I like that fat to melt out and base the meat as uh, it cooks. Sure. No, that's... <clears throat> Do you have... Um... Do you have things you see, like when you're, I know when you're filming your show, Barbecue University, and, and doing it there in, in Colorado, and then your new show, but do some people come up with ideas that, you know, maybe you try, or maybe you just go, that's just not going to work at all. Um, for example, we were just talking about brisket. You can't, to me, you shouldn't uh, throw a brisket on a gas grill and, you know, put it on a 400 degree heat and walk away and expect to get much out of it. You can't cook a brisket on a gas grill, period. I mean, it won't get a smoke flavor on a gas grill. Right. Um, uh, you know, I try and keep an open mind. Um, I would rather discover something new I haven't thought of than, you know, just dismiss an idea out of hand. Um, but there, you know, there, there's a reason why certain traditions exist, and cooking brisket low and slow for half a day is one of them. It's a tough cut of meat that really requires a slow, gentle, moist heat in order to break down those muscle fibers. Especially if it's from a 12-year-old bull. Uh, especially if it's from a 12-year-old bull. There yeah. you go. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Stephen Reichlin. More questions about barbecue and more answers from him right after this. Barbecue Nation on the Radio Northwest Network and here on KXL in Portland. I'd like to say hi to a couple of our affiliates on the network very quickly. Uh, KPNW down in Eugene and KLBM over in LaGrande. Happy barbecuing out there. By the way, next weekend, 4th of July, I will be uh, down at the Surf Tides Hotel in Lincoln City uh, doing their 4th of July barbecue for them. It's open to the public. You don't have to be a guest at the hotel. So you can come down. Join me right there on the beach. Uh, I think it's about $12, pretty much all you can eat there. We're going to do the kind of basic things, burgers, dogs, brats, and salads and beans and all those things. And the kids can can do that for $6. We have got Stephen Reichlin with us. Um, he's got a new TV show coming out on uh, PBS, Up in Smoke. And uh, what did, it's actually that, called Project Smoke. Project Smoke, sorry. Project uh, Smoke. And that starts on the 4th. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, and, uh, I mean, what better time of year to, uh, to launch a show on smoking? So what's the, I've, I've, I have not, you know, I confess, I've not watched, watched every episode, Stephen, of everything you've ever done. Uh, but the premise on this is to 
really uh, finesse the smoking of, of your meats and vegetables and stuff, or, or what is Well, the, the idea of the show is it's to do for smoking what uh, Primal Grill did for grilling. So okay. Primal Grill Primal Grill and Barbecue University, basically I spent seven seasons teaching people how to up their game at the grill. And uh, the goal and mission of Project Smoke and Project Smoke 2 will be to get people comfortable and inspired with smoking at home. You know, smoking uh, and smokers are enjoying uh, absolutely uh, phenomenal growth. You look at a smoker like the Big Green Egg uh, or the Pit Barrel Cooker or the Webby, Weber Smoky Mountain, uh, the, uh, the sales figures are off the charts. Mm-hmm. And ditto for, uh, ditto for wood products for smoking. Uh, propane has kind of remained, sales have remained relatively flat, charcoal, but, uh, but wood chips, wood chunks, wood pellets, uh, have, uh, their use is just uh, skyrocketing. And by the way, Oregon uh, is home to uh, some really major players in the smoker business. Uh, Traeger is based in uh, uh, Traeger or originated in Oregon, right? And the uh, what I used to call the Little Chief Smoker that was actually one of my first smokers. Sure, they still make them in Oregon. And then uh, Enviropack, it's the most uh, expensive and sophisticated smoker in the world, is also headquartered in Portland. So, you know, I am preaching to the choir out there. <laughs> That's okay. You know, I I, I must tell you. Uh, I got my first green egg in about 1984, something like mm-hmm. that. My aunt gave it to me, and uh, it was great. I loved it, and uh, the only thing was moving it was a bit of a challenge at times. It's a little heavy. It's yeah. a little heavy. Now I have a Primo smoker, which is similar to that. Yep. Um, it's a great product, works well, and there's a lot of good products out there. I'm not. I'm not here to endorse one over the other, but... Uh, if you get a handle on, on cooking with those and smoking with those, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Not you, but our listeners. I'm... Right. Well, you know, I think one important point to make here is that we live in an age where everything is such so much in a hurry. Everything is so hurried up. You know, your, your iPhone buzzes and pings in your pocket. You know, every email is marked triple urgent. And smoking is one thing you can't rush. It's uh, it's a slow down method. It forces you to slow down uh, and uh, and and smell the roses or smell the wood smoke. Smell the wood smoke. Yeah, that's that is true. And I actually have uh, <laughs> I have an old wood box smoker that I bought a long, long time ago too. Um, it's got the firebox on the end, and it just looks like this barrel and. And uh, I think I paid $150 for it. That thing's got to be 25 years old, and it still works. Leaks a little bit, but it still works, and and I love using that one, too. Well, you raise an interesting point, which is that the uh, entry level for smoking is pretty simple. I mean, you don't need to spend a fortune. Uh, a couple hundred bucks will get you an excellent smoker. Uh, and the principle is also very simple. You know, in fact... In taping Project Smoke, one of the challenges was, you know, with my grilling shows, there's sort of, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of butchery. There's a lot of seasoning and trimming and wrapping and tying. But mm-hmm. with smoking, many dishes are just seasoned, put in the smoker, smoke it till it's done. Yes. And so, uh, 
obviously we do a lot more. We do in, in the show. We do a lot of international smoking based on my travels to Italy, to Denmark, uh, to South America. Uh, we do what I call high tech smoking. For example, are you familiar with a smoking gun? Have you ever seen a smoking gun? No, I don't think so. So a smoking gun is a handheld smoker uh, that you use for smoking cocktails. Uh, but I use it for smoking gazpacho, for example, oh. smoking cheese. I mean, there's so many different options. Wow. I'm going to have to go uh, kind of look into that. So, yeah. so, Stephen, we do a little thing here called the lightning round. Yep. And uh, let, me, let me find your questions here. Some of these are real simple. Some of them make you think just for a second, okay? Right. All right, here we go. What is your preferred heat source when smoking or barbecuing? Uh, pure hardwood. Okay. Marinade or no marinade? Depends on the dish, but uh, very often a rub will um, do the job for you. Okay, and if you're using a marinade with or without uh, alcohol or booze? Uh, depends on the marinade, but I have no problem using alcohol in marinades. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite cut of meat? Well, um, I guess on any given night, I pro- probably for me, if I could just pick one, I would pick a porterhouse. I love a porterhouse steak, which, by the way, is terrific reverse seared again where you smoke it uh, mm-hmm. prior to grilling it. Absolutely. Um uh, We've discounted the time of 12 years now, but what is the optimum aging time for beef for you? For me, it's about 30 days. Um, I've had beef aged, you know, three months, six months. I know people get a little carried away with it, but I think you get the best flavor between sort of that aged, ripe quality and the freshness of beef at 30 days. I agree. Anything you can't or won't grill besides Jello? Uh, I would have uh, said ice cream at one point, but there's uh, there are a couple of uh, grilled uh, ice cream recipes in my book, Planet Barbecue. And then uh, on the Project Smoke TV show, we actually smoke ice cream, uh, which is pretty amazing. Until you've had smoked ice cream over grilled fruit, you have not lived. I, I have not had that, but I'm going to hold you to that one. Okay. Yeah. If you were czar for, of barbecue for one week, what would you decree? Uh, that everyone cook over a wood fire. Okay. What is the best day for Stephen contain as far as activities? Um, well, uh, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm one of those guys that loves my work. So I, uh, I'm up very early and I, uh, basically work, uh, 24 seven, but, I have to say, well, I'm talking to you on Martha's Vineyard now. Uh-huh. Uh, we live on uh, part of Martha's Vineyard called Chappaquiddick. And we'll pack a grill or a smoker into the back of the Jeep and drive way out on Cape Pogue Beach and set up a beach barbecue on a Sunday afternoon. And that is a pretty awesome, pretty awesome day. It is. Uh, who would you like to cook for you if you had somebody to say, you know, Emeril or somebody? Who would you choose? tell you what, I would have a guy named Rokusbura uh, Michiba. He's a Japanese iron chef, and I actually beat him on Japanese television in a barbecue competition. But I would uh, love to have him uh, have him cook a meal for me. Okay, we've got about a minute left in this. One thing you wish you had never eaten. Hmm. Uh, 
Well, I don't eat much fast food. I hardly ever eat fast food, but it would probably be, if I ever did succumb to fast food, I wish I hadn't eaten it. <laughs> Boxers or briefs? Here's the zinger. Uh, I, 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 not, neither. Okay. Okay, he's a commando cooker there. Best advice for backyard grillers in 25 words or less before we go to break? Absolutely. Uh, learn to control the fire, not have it control you. Okay, we're going to be back with Stephen Reichlin. Finish up this week's uh, Barbecue Nation with JT right after these messages. Don't go away. Barbecue Nation with JT here on the Radio Northwest Network. Uh, before I get back to talking to Stephen Reichlin here, Maryland food-based industry giant McCormick last week bought Stubbs barbecue sauces for $100 million in cash. And uh, C.B. Stubb, he passed away 20 years ago, literally, in May. Um, West Texas Cowboys served in the Marines. Um uh, that type of thing. Interesting how a little company like that just all of a sudden fits with our discussion here, Stephen, how, you know, Stubbs was kind of a regional sauce for years and these types of things. And that's, that's pretty big dollars right there. A hundred million. Well, you know, the same thing happened with Casey masterpiece that was uh, pioneered by a guy named Rich Davis, who was a psychiatrist and kind of tinkered with barbecue as a hobby. And Rich uh, built the business up to a sort of a, good Kansas, uh, Missouri company and sold it for Clorox. I think the number was not quite as big as this one, but, uh, at the time it was probably comparable. Yeah. I just think that's, that's fascinating. I know in your book, you were talking about how you had taken a, uh, you'd done some delving into rubs and sauces and different things like that. Some work, some don't, um, but you just never know what's going to, you know, kind of hit the hit the public's palate, if you will, and it'll take off. It just is. Well, sure, and the public palate changes, too. I think, yeah. uh, you know, back in the dark ages of barbecue in America, it was so, sort of all about the tomatoes and sugar and liquid smoke. And I think now we are much more, first of all, we are much more plugged into spice and heat and fire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Sri Racha, the Thai hot sauce, has become the new ketchup. Absolutely. Uh, But but one thing, you know, whether it's innovative or whether it's traditional, um, I think smoking, interest in smoking is only going to get bigger, only going to get more popular. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of a full service thing in my mind. You know, you, you, you select good meats, you select good vegetables, maybe you grow your own. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you are actually working with all the elements instead of like sitting in a restaurant or just throwing it in the broiler, uh, you know, and all of a sudden out, you know, 20 minutes later, whatever your, your food pops out, it's, you're actively involved in this. And I think that's one of the things people like. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it's definitely a sport and it's an involvement sport. You, <laughs> you are involved doing it. Sometimes it can be a contact sport too. If you know, you're, uh, if your food's good or if your food's bad, it's kind of at the end of both the spectrums, you know, type thing is what I found. That too. Uh, any, uh, 
anything you'd like to see come up uh, in the future for you? I mean, uh, that's kind of a very vague question. I understand that, but you've got a lot. You're a very busy guy. You've got a lot of projects on the table. You've got a new TV show on. Anything that's out there on the horizon? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, I've um, done many things that I set out to do with barbecue, but uh, I have never built my own grill or smoker. So uh, that is a project that I'm actually working on, and uh, it's, uh, it's in development. And like with my Best of Barbecue tools, basically I think about, you know, what is it that I would like to have as I'm grilling or smoking, and it's not out on the market, and what would make my life easier. And that has been the basis of, the, of, uh, of all my designs. And it's governing my thinking with, um, uh, with this grill. Uh, in terms of other projects, you know, uh, Project Smoke launches on PBS for July 4th weekend. Uh, we're already hard at work at Project Smoke 2. And Project Smoke 2, we're going to incorporate a travel element. Uh, I built a smokehouse up here at uh, my property in Martha's Vineyard. I'm actually looking at it right now. I'd love to show people how to build a wood smokehouse and how to use a smokehouse. I grew up uh, at my grandfather's place, and he had his own smokehouse. In fact, uh, Hitman and I were talking about that before the show. He spent some time in Kentucky and so have I in different places around. And Really interesting if you have your own, an actual building smokehouse yeah. and and walking into it 30 years after it was built and and you know the smells and all that like <clears throat> court said you can't get it off your clothes for a while but it's not a bad thing it's a good thing oh hey listen for me the perfume of wood smoke in your clothes you know that is uh that's as good as it gets <laughs> okay well steven you've been great to be with us today here on barbecue nation i'd like to have you back real soon it's it's been um it's been a real a, a real pleasure to talk with you here. Thank you so much. Look forward to uh, speaking with you again. You will. I can guarantee that. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to uh, wrap up Barbecue Nation this week here, and we'll be back next week with another edition right here on the Radio Northwest Network and KXL in Portland. Until then, keep your hands out of the fire and do good things out there, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. I was always a crazy one Broke into the stadium And I